Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the point that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering it you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus And throwing the cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Has anyone here ever had buyer's remorse? Mm, we've got a few hands going up. So it's that time when you, there was something that you thought you really, really wanted it, and then when you got it, it ended up being a lemon. Or you thought it was going to be the greatest thing ever, and that it was, you, you know, you'd use it every second or third day, and then you realised that the thing was more trouble than it was worth, and so you sort of made yourself use it a couple of times, but then didn't do it again, and... Or maybe there was the government that you voted for and then they were just a huge disappointment. Or there might have been the person you married. No, we won't go there. Um, This is my buyer's remorse. This thing here, right here. It is a Sennheiser BT T100. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? It's an audio transmitter, um, Bluetooth one. And I needed it. You know why? Because I'm half deaf, or three quarters, somewhere around there. And and what it does is it it transmits via Bluetooth to some headphones that I have. And I thought, this thing's going to be the greatest thing ever. And before I bought it, I looked up at specifications and they assured me that it's low latency. Ooh, that sounds impressive. What that means is it does its job really quickly. They lied. So what happens is... When I'm watching a movie or something and this thing's plugged into the TV transmitting to the headphones so I can actually hear it, 
that the pitch is lovely, it's really good, and the sound, good quality, nice and, and, and vibrant sound, but, and it cuts out other background noises so I can actually hear it. But because this thing does its job too slowly, the sound arrives well after the lips have moved, if you know what I mean, which doesn't really make for a really good movie viewing experience. And so, as it turns out, if I was deaf and blind, it'd probably be pretty okay. But because I'm half deaf and half blind, it's no use to me. So, buyer's remorse. It's for sale, by the way. If anyone wants it, it's going cheap. Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, the Sunday before Jesus was crucified, he rode a young donkey into Jerusalem and, and the crowds lined the street, cheering him on. They were awaiting their long-awaited Messiah King, and they were welcoming him in. But by the end of the week, the crowds had buyer's remorse of the most extreme kind. So they went from the Sunday parade of, of lowing, lay, laying their coats down as a carpet for Jesus to ride across and shouting out, "'Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest.'" But by Friday, the buyer's remorse had well and truly set in, crucify him. Now, that, that would have to be the most extreme buyer's remorse ever. Now, because today's Palm Sunday, uh, you've probably noticed that our locals, you've noticed we've skipped a long way ahead. So for, for our visitors, we actually work our way through whole books of the Bible. And we've only just started in the Gospel of Luke. And so where we're up to last week is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He hasn't even chosen his disciples yet. Um, but so we've skipped a long way ahead. And because Luke is a really lengthy gospel, um, to the best of my figuring, uh, provided Jesus hasn't returned in glory by this time next year, which he could very well do, and, and we'd be happy with that, would we, if Jesus comes before next year? Yeah? Oh, good, good. But if he hasn't, then we'll probably be back in this section of Luke again next Palm Sunday. And we'll be somewhere around about up to it, um, which is a good thing because there's a lot in it. Okay, so I want you to see this as a two-part message separated by about a year. Okay, so I, I expect you to all remember the first part when we get, get there this time next year. I hope that's okay. If not, we'll just write it down as buyer's remorse. Okay, and you'll wish, oh, wish I hadn't have come. Right. Now, because we've skipped so far ahead, I'm going to need to set the scene. Jesus has been ministering out in the regional areas. The message of Jesus had been received by the populace, well received. And what they've been particularly loving is the miracles and whatnot. Right. But at the same time, there is this ever-present growing animosity toward Jesus from the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees... They weren't official religious people. They were sort of like a lay-led um, purity movement, if you like, right? So just ordinary Joe Blows, but who, who really were focused on purity and stuff. And so they didn't get on with him, and nor did the religious hierarchy. Um, and these people are mainly based in Jerusalem. And there's got this growing animosity from them toward Jesus. Now, from chapter 9 which is the transfiguration. That's where Jesus is glorified before a few of his select disciples. 
But from then, the scene is set that Jesus is going to accomplish something at Jerusalem. And in chapter 9, he turns his face towards Jerusalem and we're told that he's heading toward Jerusalem. And we're reminded of this numerous times over the preceding chapters. It just keeps telling us he's heading towards Jerusalem now. He's, he's heading towards Jerusalem. He's heading towards Jerusalem. And so right throughout the gospel, there's two things that are building. The expectations are building. What's this amazing thing that Jesus is going to do when he gets to Jerusalem? But also... The tension is building. The tension from the religious leaders and whatnot is building and we're starting to wonder what's going to happen when Jesus gets to Jerusalem into their, into their heartland. And then immediately before we, the bit that we just read, Jesus tells a parable, right? So Jesus is just about to enter Jerusalem and he tells a parable. And the reason that he tells us the parable... It says in, in chapter 19, verse 11, it was because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Right? And Jesus had to correct them on this. The kingdom of God is not going to appear immediately. And we're not going to go through that, that whole parable now. Um, because we'll get to that when we get to it, probably about this time next year. Um, but the kingdom of God is not going to appear immediately and they're not going to get what they're expecting when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. And the, the main key points of the parable that Jesus tells is, one, the kingdom of God is not going to appear immediately. Two, most people will hate Jesus and not want him to be their king. Three, those who are faithful have been entrusted with the gospel and they are to be productive in carrying on Jesus's business of spreading the word and growing faith until Jesus returns. Four, when Jesus returns next time, this is when he will be established as the king. And five, those who hated Jesus those who reject Jesus, he refers to them as his enemies, will be judged and slaughtered. That's a pretty harsh term, isn't it? But it leaves us with no doubt as to what Jesus was saying here. Right? So he's given this parable to explain all of this. The kingdom is not going to appear immediately and most people will hate him and not want him to be their king. And straight out of this parable, we're straight into the Palm Sunday scene. So what happens there? Well, he's getting closer to Jerusalem and he sends a couple of his disciples in, into the village to collect an uber donkey. Now, I don't know if this was prearranged. Um, it appears as if it was not. Uh, but Jesus gives the disciples essentially a password. Jesus says, look, if, if anyone asks you why you're untying it, just say this. The Lord has need of it. Now, that would give you the confidence to go and flog somebody's donkey, wouldn't it? Well, the Lord has need of it. Now, was it prearranged? We're not told. Or did, did the owners of the donkey have a dream that God sent to them so they knew to expect this? Or did an angel turn up and tell We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that when they did go to pick up that donkey, the owners did want to know, Hey, you lot, what, what are you doing with my donkey? 
and they gave the password. The Lord has need of it. And apparently that was all okay by them. Now imagine if I went out to freight lines out there and just helped myself to a truck and um, one of the staff come along and said, what, what are you doing with that truck? Well, the Lord has needed of it. Oh, oh sure, just take it. Oh, is that what would happen, Frank? <laughs> probably not. No, probably not. Okay. So they take this cult back to Jesus and they put their coats on it as a saddle and sit Jesus on top of it and he rode along. Um, and his disciples, by the way, at this stage, it's not just the 12. We're told that there's a multitude of disciples here. And they were spreading the coats out on the ground as a carpet. And as they got to closer to Jerusalem, the whole multitude of his disciples began to, to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they'd seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, that sort of stuff uh, gets the hackles up on someone like a Pharisee. Uh, so some of the Pharisees in the crowd had a go at Jesus. Teacher, re rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I can't do that because if they're silent, even the stones are going to cry out. And so there's, there's this joyous procession praising God for Jesus. They obviously did not get the point of Jesus' parable that he'd just told them. The kingdom isn't coming just yet. And most people are going to hate Jesus. They're not going to want Jesus as their king. And so we've got this joyous procession happening, shouting at you, basically saying, the king's here now. The kingdom's arrived and the king is here. Woohoo! But in reality, what were they celebrating? We're told what they were celebrating. They were praising him for the mighty works they had seen. The healings, the miracles, the feeding of the multitudes, the bringing back to life of a dead son. Right, they're praising him for all of the mighty works they had seen. All the indicators of what, what they fell in love with about Jesus was the immediacy of the miracles. And I suspect that they saw these as a sign that he was the prophet that they'd been waiting for that was going to come and lead them into some kind of freedom-fighting fighting thing that, that would that he would lead a populous uprising. But they could not see and they did not understand that the kingdom was not yet and that the king would be hated by many. And as it turns out, by most of them. So what happened? When Jesus got close to the city, um, our translation this morning told us that he wept over Jerusalem. Now, when you hear of Jesus wept, we, we might tend to think, okay, he's had a bit of a sniffle and maybe a few, shed a few private tears. But the, the, the original Greek word here is, the emphasis is more actually on the audible 
hearing of, of this sorrow, right? So is, he bawled his eyes out. He howled. He wailed. This was no private shedding of a few tears. It is an immense, overwhelming outpouring of grief. What upset Jesus so much? It was when Jesus looked down upon Jerusalem, he could see what was going to happen to them. And the reason that it was going to happen was because they did not recognise that the one who was riding in on the donkey that day was the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, and that his ways are very different to our ways. Jesus said, you did not know the time of your visitation. Ah, if only you knew who you were rejecting. If only you knew today what would make for peace for you. But you can't see it. It's hidden from your eyes. And isn't that the story of so many for whom we weep today? If, if only they, they knew who that they were rejecting. If only they knew today what would bring them peace. So many people looking for peace and ways to get peace in their life, but they never look in the one place or with the one person who will give them peace, our Lord. If only they could see, but it's hidden from their eyes. And there's those that we weep for because of this, isn't there? And Jesus could see their future. They were looking for a leader at this point who was going to lead them into victory over Rome, right? So Rome, they were their oppressors. They were a foreign government occupying their land. They'd come in and given them a jolly good flogging and then brought in their troops to, to keep the peace and to collect taxes. They were an occupied land and they didn't like it. So they were after a leader who was going, someone who would lead a rebellion against Rome. And Jesus knew that he wasn't that person, but he knew that they would eventually find somebody who would lead them to do that. And of course, the result of that is Rome would do what Rome were very efficient at. They would conquer a fortified city. And that's what they did. They would build siege works and starve that city out. Siege works are a series of ditches and mounds that you build up to a fortified city to protect you as you approach that city. And this is what happened. The people did rebel against Rome, and in the year 70 AD, the Romans made their counterattack. And they built a wall right around that city, and siege works were constructed, and eventually the city was taken. Now, the way that they did it was by keeping people out and stopping the people in the city from coming out. But then when it came to the time of Passover, so Passover is a time when people would flock to Jerusalem. And even though the city was besieged, the, the pilgrims faithful to God still came to Jerusalem for the Passover. And Titus allowed them into the city and swelled the city. And then he wouldn't let them out again. 
and an estimated 600,000 people starved to death. Do you understand why Jesus is wailing? He saw what was in front of, of Jerusalem. And when they finally broke into the city, the, the destruction was complete. This is an account from the time. We're told that only the three great towers of Herod, Hippicus, Pharsal, and Marianne, and the western walls were spared. Why? To protect the camp of the 10th legion, which was left to guard the site after it all, and to demonstrate to posterity what kind of city it was and how well fortified it was. The only reason they left any fortifications there was just so that people could understand later in history how significant their victory was to break through the fortifications. And the rest of the city, so they left that little bit, the rest of the city was dug up to its foundations. Why? It all happened because they were after a political or a military victory. What they're after was a person who would lead an uprising of the people against their oppressors and do it immediately. But Jesus did not come for that. They did not know the time of their visitation. God came in Jesus Christ, his son, and they crucified him. And they completely misunderstood the whole kingdom of God thing. Some 2,000 years have passed now. Do we now understand the kingdom of God thing? Do we understand it? I want to ask that question from, from two different perspectives. Firstly, for those who are not yet saved. Jesus was the king who made an appearance. The people had the wrong idea about him and they ultimately rejected him and crucified him. But this was all part of God's plan. Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. And all who receive Jesus as their king and submit themselves to him and await his return for the coming of his glorious kingdom. But it still stands true those who do not want Jesus as their king are enemies of Jesus. They've chosen to make themselves such. And so when Jesus returns to his kingdom, where will you be at? Will you be welcoming your king or will you be an enemy of the king? Will you have your eyes opened today to know what will bring you peace with God? Or is it hidden from your eyes? You see, that, that's the situation for every person. And we need to choose this day, if Jesus is my king and if I'm his disciple, carrying on his business until he returns, or am I his enemy? There is no in-between. I'm either all in for Jesus or I'm against him. Do you understand the kingdom of God? Jesus came 
but he's coming again to rule his kingdom. Where will you be on that day? Secondly, is for those who have committed themselves as disciples of Jesus. Do we understand the kingdom of God? Do we understand that the kingdom isn't about worldly, immediate blessings? Do we understand that the kingdom of God isn't about a political movement? And the kingdom of God isn't about an uprising of the people to to arms to overthrow some tyranny. Do we understand that the kingdom of God isn't about forcing change upon people through legislation? And the kingdom of God isn't about us trying to form some kind of heaven here on earth. This world predominantly hates Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that this world is going to go from bad to worse. We've been told that. And Christians will be persecuted. And Christians will go through times of trouble and tribulation. The people in Jerusalem had buyer's remorse because they were ready for an immediate fulfilment of all of their hopes and dreams. But that's not the way it was going to happen. Jesus would return as king, but not in their lifetime. And we still know Jesus is going to return as king. Could be before Smoko, or it could be after our lifetimes. We don't know. And there are some today who actively hitch their wagon to some kind of Jesus movement because they expect or they've been told to expect that their blessings are going to be immediate. But then as soon as things don't work out as they'd hoped or or things don't work out as they'd been promised, they have buyer's remorse and they fall away. True disciples of Jesus, we don't have that problem of buyer's remorse because we go into, into faith. We go into following Jesus as his disciples with our eyes wider open. We wait for you, Lord Jesus. We're waiting, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We proclaim you as king today and we await your coming kingdom. Amen.